Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode number 20 of the I Gotta Ask podcast. My name is Daryl Oliveira. I am the host of this program. And if this is your first time here, to put it quite simply, this is a show where I have conversations with cool people that do cool things. That's the only real label I ever assign to the show. Uh, returning listeners, you know I love and appreciate every single one of you. So thank you for being here with me once again. Uh, I've been sitting here trying to figure out how to do the intro for today's guest any kind of justice. Uh, as I mentioned, this is only episode number 20, but I've already landed one of my all-time dream guests. Uh, his name is Ron Thorne. He is the principal master builder at the Fender Custom Shop in Corona, California. Yes, that Fender, Fender Guitars. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of Fender Guitars and of Ron's work. And if you told me when I first started up a podcast that by episode number 20, I'd be interviewing him for an episode... There is no way I would have believed you. Um, when I reached out to Ron, I fully expected to not hear anything back at all and was totally prepared for that. After all, this, uh, this guy is a very busy man. And when he wrote me back, I was absolutely floored. But then the nerves kind of kicked in and I wasn't sure I could actually handle this one. Um, but luckily, we had uh, a good amount of time between our initial messages until the time that we were able to schedule the recording of the episode. So I had time to prepare. Uh, I do a fair amount of research ahead of these things, but only enough to make sure that we can keep the conversation moving and not so much that I take away all of my peripheral questions and uh, quote-unquote mystery surrounding my guest. Uh, and with that said, while talking to Ron, I discovered that he is actually Canadian, which uh, I was completely and pleasantly surprised by, and we had great fun discussing our shared nationality. Uh, further to that, Ron recorded a very special, I'll put this in air quotes, Canadian promo for the episode that I think you're all going to enjoy, so stay tuned for that just after my intro wraps up. Besides us both being Canadian, Ron and I obviously talked a lot about his career from the early days of doing custom inlay work for the Fender Custom Shop, but via the Thorn Guitars company uh, prior to joining Fender, uh, how he found himself employed at the Fender Custom Custom Shop as the principal master builder there, uh, his love of muscle cars and cars in general, as well as some of his automotive restoration projects. We scratched the surface on a couple of Ron's amazing custom one-off guitar builds. We dug into Ron's background as a guitar player and how he got started playing the six string. Ron filled me in a little about his current personal guitar collection and told me an incredible story about a specific serial-numbered Guild Brian May signature guitar that he tried to purchase but got scooped out from under him and then years later inadvertently found again and bought from a very special surprise seller. Uh, besides all the awesome topics I just mentioned, Ron and I had a lot of fun chatting about a ton of other stuff, and I just wanted to say, Ron, if you're listening, it was an absolute honor and a pleasure speaking with you, and let's definitely do a part two. Uh, I think we have so much more to cover. I feel like I made an incredible new friend, and I'd love to pick up our conversation where we left off, and I sincerely hope we get to do it sooner than later. And Ron, again, thank you so much for your time, sir. Very, very much appreciated. That's it, guys. That's the intro, short and sweet as usual, so I can get you right into the episode as soon as possible. But please do me a solid and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. Uh, tell your friends if you like what you're hearing and help me get the show some exposure. Uh, like the show's Facebook page and follow the show's Instagram page, which you can find sim by simply searching for the I Gotta Ask podcast on those respective socials. And if you'd like, you can follow my personal Instagram, which is uh, olsurly, which is at O-L underscore S-U-R-L-Y. And feel free to drop me a message on any of those platforms, or you can always email me at igapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned. I'm going to try to keep releasing episodes every two weeks for as long as I can, and I hope to catch you all on the next one. Please enjoy my conversation with the great Ron Thorne. Good day there, eh? This is Ron Thorne. 
coming at you live live from the Fender Custom Shop, there, eh? So you're listening to the I Gotta Ask podcast. It almost rhymes. All right. Have a good day. Beauty. Couldn't be better. I love it. All right. Okay, Ron Thorne, thanks for being here, man. This is insane. I can't even believe I'm talking to you right now. I, when I reached out to you back in April, I was 100% sure that I would get either a red a read receipt and no answer or no read receipt at all and no answer. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're here talking to me today. Uh, Daryl, my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invite. You know, I'm always uh, up for talking guitars. You know, it's funny. I, 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 when I went poking around on the web and uh, looking for you on some other... Um, podcast i i actually found a lot of stuff on youtube right and and so i thought well here's a guest that that or a potential guest who loves to talk loves talking about what he does and he's amazing at what he does so why not reach out and again like if you told me back when i started this thing a couple years ago that by episode 20 i'd have ron thorne on my podcast i would would have told you to shut your stupid mouth and and move on right but but here we are so it's, it's awesome all right thank you let me just say before we start to well i mean we're started but let me just say congratulations on attaining the title of Fender's Principal Master Builder. I mean, that is an insane title. It's an incredible achievement. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, I know you've been in the role for a couple of years, but I just wanted to say congratulations to start off by saying that. Wow. Uh, very kind. Thank you very much. Yes, it <laughs> barely fits on my business card. <laughs> The title. <laughs> I know you spent uh, a lot of years doing like uh, custom inlay work for Fender, though, right? As as Thorn Guitars, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it was. It actually started as Thorn Inlay in the early early to mid nineties, and I started working with the Fender Custom Shop around ninety five. Was the first time I, the first project I did with them. Ah, okay, okay. So originally you were just doing inlays. Yep. So no other parts at all for the through the company for your own like like there, were there any Thorn purpose built Thorn guitars or was it all just inlay uh, work? Other than just um, just for friends and you know I, I hadn't really branded myself as a guitar manufacturer. I was actually at that time I still had a full time engineering job a nine to five gig. So I was doing the inlays after hours and I had always dabbled in guitar building you know, nonstop. And then shortly thereafter, I started sort of ghost manufacturing components for some boutique guitar companies, mm-hmm. making bodies, making necks, that, that kind of routine, uh, or fretboards, mm-hmm. head caps, what have you. And then within, uh, by the year 2000 is when I figured, Hey, let me, let me launch officially launch Thorn guitars as a, as a product and put some effort towards, um, promoting that. Hmm. So, excuse me. So in those early days of, of Thorn Guitars, you said you had a, a, a nine to five job. So you were like, how many hours were you putting in a day? I mean, you must have been just swamped. Oh, uh, that's the story of my life right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this isn't straight up 16 hour days, six days a week for decades. That, I know that sounds impossible and ridiculous. I had a full routine waking up, getting to the shop by eight leaving at midnight, watching the first half hour of Conan O'Brien, passing out and starting over again. That was a big chunk of my life was that routine every day. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. And like, you know, having, I, I mean, I work at a nine to five, actually my hours are like seven to three. So if I had to come home at 3 PM and start building guitars, I mean, I don't know where I would find the time. I don't even have kids and I don't know where I would find that time. Were you a single guy back at that time? Or were you... I would, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you single guy, be, right? Yeah, I, and 
I was in a band and once really once I started getting the fender work, once I started coming in in mass abundance was when I I had to quit my band and then eventually I had to quit my job just to, to keep up with the workload from, yeah. from Fender primarily. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. I mean, I can't imagine the kind of workload that must have been. So how did you like, tell me a little bit about the early days of, of Thorn Guitars. Like how, th- these inlays, how did you get into doing this custom inlay work? I think I read one time that you picked up a book. Is that correct? Well, it, okay. Uh, I've always been artsy-fartsy, went to art school and, you know, was, was a good doodler and stuff as a kid and uh then getting into both mechanical engineering and guitars it it all kind of right all three elements fit together really well engineering woodworking into guitars and artsy fartsy so it really was a perfect collaboration of all three let's say passions of mine um after building a fair number of guitars on my on my own i considered hey maybe i should try some inlay work just try it seems like something i would well number one i remember uh larivay wendy uh wendy larivay guitars i was fascinated a a, a band member had an acoustic and i had a um, like a mermaid inlaid on the headstock and i was really fascinated by the amount of detail that went into that so i figured out let me give that a shot i liked little little things you know i was good at let's say models as a kid it seemed like something I would possibly enjoy doing. So yes, I, I had the Stumac catalog. I ordered the, a, a book, you know, inlay, which I swear that thing was written in the 1950s because very little of it applied <laughs> even today, yet they still sell it, which is <laughs> just so funny. Um, so I got that and I just bought a couple ounces of pearl, which is, you know, maybe 10 pieces of mother of pearl and the saw and the blades and everything. And then, it just went for it. I would come home from work and I was set up in my bedroom. Oh man. Early days, a little, little apartment. I was set up in my bedroom and my cat was by my feet. So all the pearl <laughs> dust as it was cutting was just falling on the cat's head. Oh and, man. Um, yeah. And it took me, I went for the, the first, well, in the book, it's great. Cause it says start with basic geometric shapes. So of course I do this Chinese dragon with like 400 pieces. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Forget that. I'm going in, going in deep. And uh, I would just come home and, and cut a few pieces. And uh, eventually, when, when the time came to to glue them into the neck, again, the book, and this, you know, the internet was really just kind of getting going at that time, too. So there wasn't uh, YouTube instructions on how to do you. This is the right. book was it. And again, being written in the 50s, it recommended using epoxy, like five-minute epoxy. Not super glue, not not anything I would use now. In fact, right. I haven't epoxyed in an inlay probably since, but <laughs> five-minute epoxy, 400 individual pieces of material. And I was doing oh like, God. yeah, stop-the-clock test runs of how quick I could fit the pieces in there. They're, again, thinking I had to do it all in one shot. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, I was in the, in, like, in the backyard and people were coming. I was like, don't bug me. I gotta, don't, don't distract me. I got to get this going. So anyways, it came out all right. Uh, I still have it. I look at it now. I kind of cringe, but for a first time, <laughs> it was all right. And I brought the whole, it was, I built this whole guitar and I brought it into GMW and uh, they offered, they used to run a little ad that said, we paint guitars in a, in a local paper. So I dragged it down there 
and uh, threw it up on the counter and said, hey, you know, can you paint this blue? And Lee Garber, the, the G in GMW, he says, uh, who, uh, wh where did this come from? Like, no, I made it. Who did the inlay? I said, I did the inlay. And he calls over Dan Lawrence, which you know, Dan and I are still buddies today. He still does graphics for, for Fender and Jackson. He calls Dan over and he says, check it out. And I was like, wow, that looks pretty good. And the next thing I know, a couple hours later, I've got like two dozen necks under my arms that I'm going home with to do all sorts of things. And that, there, it just went from one inlay to now, wow, this is a, this is a bit of a side gig for me. Yeah. And it just took off from there. I got good and I was in the right spot mm -hmm. in part of California within 10 minutes of multiple other small custom shops. And once word got out that there's an inlay guy in town, mm -hmm. it was wildfire, right? I, I had more work that I could handle. Wow. Once, once Fender, which is really being such a fan of Fender all my life to get in the door and become a Fender vendor was huge for me. That was really exciting. And I felt like, here we go. I mean, yeah. how, you, you don't get any bigger or better than doing stuff for the master builders in the custom shop right, right there. Was like, oh, right. I'm set. I'm, I've reached the pinnacle as far as I, I can with inlay work. And uh, I just wrote it for many years, a couple decades. That's incredible. So how did, so how did you end up walking into Fender as the principal master builder then? Like, how did that come up? How did you, how, did you just apply for the job? As principal master builder? Uh, this is, this story, it, it kind of pains me a little bit. I told it once before. Hmm. Um, a peer. So of course, being in the industry, I have lots of friends that work for lots of different gift card companies and we know one another and, you know, it's a really good community. Hmm. And, um, this, this one chap uh, reached out to me and he said, hey, I'm, I'm applying for a job. Could you write a letter of recommendation for me? I said, yeah, absolutely. You're a great builder. No problem. For where? For the Fender Custom Shop, they're looking for a master builder. I said, oh, oh that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Who do I write it to? Chris Fleming. Oh, Chris Fleming and I, old buddies. No problem. Typed up the email, fired it off to Chris. He calls me back 15 minutes later. I'm like, hey, did you get that letter? Yeah, I got it. Um, that's great. Why aren't you applying for the gig? And I just like, oh, okay. I don't know. Like, I've got my own thing going and uh, I'm doing all right. He says, oh, consider it. So I considered it. And uh, yeah, let me let me apply. I didn't even, <laughs> and when I say apply, it was really just that like, okay. <laughs> I didn't have a resume. <laughs> didn't have anything. And uh, what I didn't know was, they had been searching for a while, and uh, when the other master builders, all of which essentially have been my buddies forever, right, and mm -hmm. I've been working with them closely, mm -hmm. um, when they when they kind of caught wind that I was a potential candidate, they all just you know stop looking, get him in here, no matter what, and there wow. we go. That was it. The difficult thing was then calling my buddy five weeks later and saying, "Hey, uh, hate to tell you, but um, it's the good news here, here's the, here's the good news is I just hired him as the principal master builder for Jackson. So it took me three years to redeem myself nice, order nice. and come back around." Sure. And according to him, he prefers the gig as a Jackson master builder. So 
I can now sleep at night. <laughs> That's an incredible story. I mean, things tend to work out, you know, the way they're supposed to, right? So, I mean, if he really does enjoy the gig as the, as the Jackson master builder, well, then great. You know what I mean? It worked out. <laughs> it, it worked out for me. Yeah, and I, and I'm it. sure he wasn't, you know, out of work for those three years. It's not like you, like, no. you know, took, took food off his plate. <laughs> it, it, that's, that's a really, really good point. And that was one of the things that kind of sold myself on it was he had a great gig for a great company. And uh, he wasn't down in it at all. So it's right. just a change of pace for him. And it just took a little while longer than he expected, I guess. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned you were a Fender fan growing up. So I'm assuming you play guitar like from a young age or like when did you start playing guitar? Uh, at age 13 was I was given a guitar neck by a buddy. It was a prestige brand, I think a, a Japanese brand. Mm -hmm. So it was just a neck mm -hmm. and tuners. And then uh, my dad and I built the body, and I, I fabricated the, the bridge. It was like a string through over the uh, over a saddle bridge. I, oh, I wow. made that in metals shop. I'm, oh. I don't know if you're old enough to remember woods and metal. Oh yeah, those were junior high classes. Yep. Uh, I made the pickguard. This was great. I, I tried to make the pickguard out of a few records. Oh, uh, wow. Like I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I destroyed my dad's <laughs> ventures album collection trying to bandsaw pick guards with oh, that um, yeah eventually i made the pickguard in metal shop and then i had you know, painted it black and I, I had this functional uh guitar that kept me going for about a year and change and then the folks uh hunkered down and they bought me a, a, a cortez flying v oh. and a guitar amplifier that was branded <clears throat> guitar amplifier so <laughs> it was quite the quality that's the it brand actually, that it said on it guitar yeah, amplifier yeah guitar amplifier and it lit on fire in my bedroom oh my god the speaker did and i had to put it out with my big gulp I oh remember my that. god but, uh, <laughs> that's anyways, unbelievable yeah so age 13 i got my assembled built my first guitar and then by 14 or so i had that flying b and that kept me going for a while Nice, nice. And I mean, I, I don't know what your plans were as a kid, but did you ever imagine that you'd be building guitars one day? Like, was that putting that first guitar together? Did that sort of ignite something that that's carried on? Uh, absolutely. And a little bit of background to my, so my, and this is my, my Marissa Tomei story. My grandfather was a carpenter. My two uncles were carpenters. And my father, although not a carpenter, we, we had a wood shop. He was an armorer in the Canadian Navy, Royal Canadian Navy. And oh, that's wow. basically a firearms repairman. So very mechanically inclined. Growing up in wood shops from day, literally from day one, I was involved in woodworking. So it, um, it, it that passion was already there as far as being crafty, you know, just being involved in it and growing up in a family of craftsmen. And then uh, once rock and roll bit in it just combined the two right guitars and and woodworking it just fell into place to doing it as a living i hadn't really considered it mm -hmm. uh, i knew i enjoyed it and then once i got into repairs and modifying high school kids guitars and doing that it it, it was a a fun way and, and a fun way to make some extra money but um for a living that wasn't a goal until again the, the fender deal started coming through and they started mm -hmm being self-employed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow that's incredible I mean, what a story like can you would you ever have imagined in your wildest dreams as a child that you would be working for, for fender nope. <laughs> nope. Not, not at all and it's i still get a rush out of even just 
telling somebody that that's blown away by it. And I was like, no, I right there with you. I can't believe it either. <laughs> yeah. It's an incredible it's story, man. Honestly, the, the master builder. That, and that's the other thing. This is, so the custom shop is what, 34 years old at this point. And okay. I believe there's only been 26 master builders. Oh, wow. Since, yeah. And half of them still work here. You know, like Mark Hendrick, he, he's, he's, he works here. He's not a master builder, but he's he still is employed here. Mm-hmm. Louis, there's a few other guys. So like 13 or 14 out of the 26. Oh, wow. Yeah, still are Fender folk, which is, it's a very small group, but cool that so many of them are still here. Yeah, I feel like for like such a big company, it's really got this, you know, from all the stuff I see online. And of course, like I know everything you see online is highly curated obviously but i it certainly feels like a very family-based company like a very close-knit family absolutely and the 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 uh not the vibe but just the culture here at fender and not just the custom shop i mean the whole factory Mm -hmm. there is tons of passion and just there's so so much pride for the product and the fact that they're you know, just building and crafting these very important items that they know somebody's going to love. It's mm-hmm. it, it you 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 can tell right away. I I can't imagine walking into another facility with that much kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, and that's certainly something that that I've you know I've I've had a few jobs in my life. I'm I'm 39, so I'm not like you know I'm not a young kid, but I'm not like an old man either. And, uh, but I've had a few jobs and I know that some jobs definitely feel like that. You know, you walk in and you have a very tight knit, lots of support. And then others you go to and it's just like, and you know, it's not the right place. Right. (laughs) Yeah. There isn't a smile to be seen on any employee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's certainly, you're you're kind of living out my dream, man. Like, I, I, I was never a builder. Like, I've never considered myself a builder. I've always done my own setups on my guitars, and I've worked on my own guitars and changed pickups and all that kind of stuff. Never would consider myself a builder. But, I mean, having the, you know, waking up every day and going to, and again, another thing I've seen online is all your your cubbies or cubicles or whatever you call those spaces that you guys work in, all the master builders work in, to be able to go to a room like that and build the world's some of the world's best guitars you know for a living and, and somebody pays you to do it <laughs> it just seems yeah. like such an amazing career you know yeah, well and if you question how do you pull off 16 hour days forever that's exactly how because we're so into it yeah it's, it's, it's not even work and i don't even say i'm going to work i'm going to the shop that's it it's yeah yeah i mean it must be like it's what I, I can't imagine that feeling of, of going to that, you know, job. I put job in, in air quotes because it's, like you said, it's a passion. It's, I can't imagine having my hobby, which is, you know, behind me, as you can see, I've, I have a number of guitars in my collection, but, um, you know, to have your hobby become your career is just amazing. You're, it's like that old quote, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Or I'm sure I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing that terribly, but, <laughs> but that is. No, it's, just, it's, and it's spot on in this case, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, I only have you for an hour and a half, so I don't want to like tie you up too much on 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 all these different subjects. But I, I want to move along quickly because I want to cover a lot of stuff. Okay. I and just you know me I'll just ramble till the cows come. <laughs> and that's so, okay too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if we don't cover everything, I don't care. It's just a pleasure to have you here. But I do want to cover a number of topics, and one of them is this Fender and uh, Barrett Jackson build that you guys just did. I just finished rewatching that series again, and I wish there was more of the guitar building in it um they do show you making the guitar but you don't seem to do a lot of talking in it and i wish it was more sort of 50 50 split but 
it was still an amazing YouTube series, and that car is fantastic, and the guitar is fantastic. It, well, thank you, thank you, and and I I have to say it that, that was a Barrett Jackson production, which yeah, yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, right. They, they, yeah, okay. So, so no I'm just glad I was in there at all. But, oh, it was yeah. great, man, and like just seeing the amount of work that went into that. I mean, not only the car, but the guitar as well. You know what I mean? Like you put a ton of custom stuff on that thing that I had not seen before, and then like those custom taillights on the on the Strat, uh, taillight pickups, I should say. Um, those things are incredible. And I, and I, I just actually went back and found out today that they're EVH pickups. I thought they were single coils. I was going to ask you if those were single coils. Yeah, those were EVHs tucked underneath there. So what did you do? You just milled out the, the center of, of the pickup cover and sort of, and put a tail. Well, actually they, that little bazelle, they, that's, they sell that now that the little Chrome. Oh, really? That little crank. Yeah. That's a, that's a component you can buy. So I purchased some of those and then they, the, uh, the lens, that's a, the side marker from a 69, uh, on the rear, on the quarter panels, oh, it's wow. a side mark in the 69 Mustang. So if you look closely, you can still see the Ford logo and the part number. Oh, wow. Room. I didn't realize that's how you did it. Yeah. So is that oh, yeah. like new I old stock parts? That, uh, no, those were reproduction oh, okay. parts. And yeah. Finding finding NOS parts for Mustangs is pretty tough these days. Oh, I'm in the middle of restoring a 67 flashback right now. And the prices have gotten insane for any clean original Mustang part. So yeah, oh, wow. it's a reproductive part, reproduction part, and uh, just machined it down to fit underneath that the little bazelle. Uh, it's a, a cool detail that really tied in. Yeah. Everybody knows those three taillights and how it looks on the back of the Mustang. Oh, yeah. So, like it was a, a signature detail to tie in. Yeah, the, um, I'm a car guy for sure. Car nut, got a, a small stash of classics and muscle yeah. cars and, primarily powered by Ford stuff. Uh, And Fender has um, collaborated with other car manufacturers in the past, primarily Ford and Shelby. And there's a whole series of various guitars that uh, I've collected the whole set. I'm not ashamed to say it. Got them all. (laughs) Was involved in the inlay work on a few of them too, which made it that much cooler. And then I did that Celine collaboration the year before. So and that was just running into a guy at a bar with a Celine shirt, and we started talking. And <laughs> six months later, there's a Celine parked in the Fender booth at the NAMM show with the guitar that I made to match. Yeah, that's how that came about. So the Barrett Jackson, they, they they're in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where corporate Fender is located. Right, so right. Right from one another. So there was some some friendships made that way, and uh, they they kind of, of course, if it's car themed, I I get the gig right out of the way. All the other master builders know that already. And uh, originally it was going to be a 69 Camaro. That was the original oh, wow. first car collaboration. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. All right. You know, it's Chevy. All right. It's, it was going to be orange and like, oh, I'll have some fun with it. And then they, they uh, contacted me and said, oh, we're changing the car up. I said, oh, okay, what's it going to be? And they said, it's a 69 Fastback, which was my first Mustang. It was my first car. It was my first Mustang wow. you know, when I was 21 or 22. And I had that, I owned it for 14 years and I did everything possible to it. Uh, so I knew every bolt inside and out and nut and screw. And um, so that made it even more special for me because it was just uh, such a fan of the car and the brand. And uh, immediately I, I had a game plan of what I was going to do to it. And then working with the Barrett Jackson team was just another, it was a dream for me. Again, And it, on the same token, you oh. Talk about doing something you love. There's Jason and Tony. 
basically doing the other job I would love to do for a living, <laughs> which is just restoring and modifying classic cars. And, and they are so great to work with. And uh, we still stay in touch. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a great game. Great collaboration. It all went together really well. I'm super proud of the of the guitar and the car. Yeah, I I visited it a couple times during the while they were doing the work to do various promos and, mm -hmm. and see how they're doing. But when they when they I'm holding the guitar, it's like okay, let's go check out the car. And the camera's rolling, and they peel back the car cover, and it's just seeing you know, a black fastback gleaming with the stance and the wheels it just looked so amazing i was so excited i kind of like for a i don't know how many milliseconds it was i just kind of got dizzy and just like whoa <laughs> and i then i caught myself and sort of like shook it off what the hell i almost fainted <laughs> looking at that car and then i thought that would have been amazing if i just had like head face plant right off the fender <laughs> right, right off the hood and begin, yeah. whoa hold the guitar and then that's all i was thinking about <laughs> at that very moment like i almost took a header right now so there was so much going on but just the adrenaline and the excitement and when i saw it, I'm like this is freaking amazing oh yeah so, yeah it is a Can't gorgeous vehicle for sure and they did a hell of a job on that on that restoration like that resto mod kind of stuff where they put in all the modern suspension yes. and brakes like what an incredible thing. Like I never, my dad, I grew up around muscle cars. My dad built a number of them frame up, but he did like, you know, like a historic restoration, yeah. like true to the original right. matching number cars, everything. Right. Um, 65 Chevelle he had, um, oh. you know, and, and at one time he had a 69 Camaro SS that he did not finish, which drove me bananas. Cause that was always my favorite car that he had. He traded this thing for a, a blazer, like a 2000, three or four blazer or something like that. Cause he needed a daily driver and mm. uh, traded it to a friend of his own dealership. And then two years later, the thing caught fire and burned. So not only, not only did he not have his, his, his Camaro, but now oh, his blazer no. was burned. Right. So it was like, <laughs> drove me nuts. So, so I've seen a uh -huh. number of these things, but, but speaking of your like stuff, so you said you were storing a 67 fastback. Are you doing the same kind of thing, a resto mod on it and putting all the upgraded components? I think I am. And I, I've gone both ways in cars and I've got no problems with either way. And it, and for me, it kind of depends on the car. Uh, I had a 67 GT350 Shelby, which I wow. did like your dad did, you know, yeah. date code correct, spark plug wires and, and that whole routine. And that's one way of going about it. Mm -hmm. This car, and, and this was what was cool about the, the Barrett-Jackson car too. That was a, a 302 automatic, didn't have a whole lot of options. So even though and I'm not going to discount any 69 fastback, but it was kind of a, a it wasn't going to hurt too many people's feelings. It wasn't a big block. It wasn't super rare. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that like, oh man, why of all cars, why would you do it to that? Why wouldn't you buy, let's say a lesser grade car? Yeah. And the 67 I just got, which is, I, I got it from the original owner. Wow. She's in her eighties and wow. an original owner Mustang these days is, few and far between and she was so nice and it was extremely difficult for her it took like a year and a half I'm, I'm, it was zero pressure on her like even after i had paid her a week later multiple weeks later i went to get the car i was like are you sure mm -hmm. like you know i and she just loved the fact that i cared enough to be concerned and that i would do it right yeah for for both of us so on this one i'm gonna i'm gonna i, I won't restore it 
NOS. I'm going to have a little bit of fun. I'm going to really a lot of the inspiration came from that Barrett Jackson. So I'm going to probably put the same suspension in there. And I've been talking to Jason and Tony at Barrett Jackson about some of the components they use. So I may soup it up a little bit just so that I can make it a little more uh, enjoyable to drive mm -hmm. daily. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll try to drive it every day. So how did you get into restoring cars? Like, is this something, again, is this something you did with your, with your dad growing up or? And then my dad was the pinstriper for the Toronto modified car club. Oh, wow. And, uh, so yeah, he always had cool, cool cars. And my brother, who's 10 years older than me, he, I remember this challenger, red challenger parked in the driveway forever. So and I just kind of was into it from, from an early age. And I, my first, well, my, <laughs> My first, first car was a Toyota Starlet. <laughs> Forget about that one. And then I got a Triumph <laughs> and then the Mustang. And uh, I, I've pretty much owned a Mustang or my whole life, various Mustangs right. my whole life. And, uh, I've got a 66 Fairlane GTA now, big walk, and got a Shelby Daytona. I, there's, yeah, I'm a car nut too. On top of <laughs> No, that's that's incredible. I think a lot of people are. Uh, I think what we find with a lot of people that are into collecting guitars is they're also into collecting other things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I mean, if you can afford it, cars are a great one to, to collect and restore. Yeah, and they go hand in hand, right? It's yeah. all about freedom and expression and rock and roll, loud noise making machines. Yeah. Now you 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 recently restored your your speaking of restoring cars. You recently restored your parents' old Oldsmobile, correct? Nineteen seventy. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a 70 Cutlass Supreme convertible. That, And here's that story. is So we moved here from Toronto in 1979, and my dad had to sell a 62 Corvette. And basically everything we owned, he, they sold or got rid of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we land here in North Hollywood, California. And uh, the next day he walks to a used car lot and comes home with this 70 Cutlass Supreme convertible, which mm -hmm. is beautiful, azure blue, and it's a gorgeous car. And then throughout the years, you know, th throughout the decades, it kind of gets a little beat up and a little neglected. And uh, it finally, in 2014, I uh, told my dad, "Let me, let me, let me have it and do a number on it." And then uh, it took me two and a half years, and I got to give it back to him as a nice, as a gleaming, fresh off the showroom floor looking car. It it truly is a cream puff of beauty. <laughs> how it looked looking at it now is probably slightly less cool than it was brand new in the in the showroom but it's as close to a a new car as you're gonna get i um, yeah i mean what are you what are you gonna say to that right yeah it was it, it's pretty amazing and, you know, and the advantage of an old restoring a 70 olds is the availability of the parts there's lots of parts out there new old stock parts mm -hmm. and everything i put on it was was new old stock and my garage smelled like 1970 for a long time. But. I know that smell well. Again, you know, having grown <laughs> up around those kind of rebuilds, I I know all you know, like the leather. I he, he had a cup. My dad had a couple of old Porsches as well in my in you know oh, growing cool. up, and and just that that's that aroma yeah. of that leather. You know what I mean? It's just it's yes. ingrained in me forever. You know? <laughs> that's great. Very so, cool. So you're you're a fellow Canadian then. I didn't know that. That's another thing uh, I didn't you know, find out via my research because I saw that there was a a Maple Leafs keychain on that <laughs> old uh, Oldsmobile uh, on the key ring, and so I thought, well, what's the connection to the Leafs? And I was going to ask you if you were, uh, you know, what your connection to Canada was, and and there we are. You were born here. All right. Oh, you say here, okay? Because yeah. I heard a an out earlier in the conversation, yes. and I was going to bring it up. Yes. So I live like an hour. 
uh, southeast of Toronto. I'm in, I'm in a place called uh, Cambridge, which is uh, Kitchener-Waterloo area. It's not very far. Yeah. It's kind of halfway between Toronto and London, right? I didn't know that. So I'm yeah. from Brampton. Brampton, ah, Bramley. Awesome. I know. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, man. Well, there you go. <laughs> Fellow Canadian. I love it. So you were, so you got dual citizenship then. Are you, are you back this way often? Or? I, I'm not dual. I'm still full-blooded Canadian citizen. Really? I have a resident, yeah, I have a resident alien card, but oh, uh, wow. I have the Canadian passport going, yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I thought being there all that time, yeah. you would have you would have become a citizen at some point. My folks did to uh, to then sponsor my brother and his family to come back down. Okay. I never did. And, oh, wow. uh, not for, you know, no, I don't know, just didn't, didn't want to and kind of still proud and didn't really affect me in any way, not with a job or, or anything. Obviously, still pay taxes and do the whole thing. The the one definite advantage is I don't, I can't go to jury duty, but yeah. I also can't vote. So, so there's a trade off. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny right now, Daryl, is your Canadianism is starting to come out more and more. So now we're, we're both going to start like talking like Bob and Doug there, right? I can already hear it's already starting to change, and then they're all oh, take off. What a beauty! So well, I'd I seen, can, it's, it's coming out a little more right now. <laughs> I'd seen that you had, uh, you know, some connection to bubbles from the trailer park boys. Cause he keeps sending <laughs> us some, some t-shirts and things. Right. And I always yeah. wondered if you just were, cause a lot of Americans are fans of the, that show. Cause it's hilarious. Right. Oh, that's great. Like bubbles. <laughs> they, they recorded this video for me, a minute long video. The three of them sit at the table and like, say, Hey, to Ron Thorne boys. And, <laughs> and then they just go off Ron the horn Thorne. Like, I don't know the size of this package. So, uh, I, it, that was a when I got that one come through, it was it was uh, amazing. Yeah, Bubbles, we work on some of this some of his guitar. So yeah, because he's a musician, he's right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's good. he's good. I know he had some band a, a, a number of years ago, like before the Trailer Park Boys were were popular. Um, but I I, <clears throat> I never really got into them, and I can't remember what even what they were called. But I know he was in a band that was that was pretty good. I believe it. Yeah. He's a good player. Yeah. yeah. Um. What about Letterkenny? You watch? Do you ever watch that show? That's another great Canadian uh, show. It, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I I'm a little older than you too, so I've yeah. got to sort of um, inform people of SCTV around these oh. parts, and they don't. And I'm like, it, okay, think of all the stars that came from SNL from oh, starting yeah. a lot. This is the Canadian version. John Candy, Rick Moran, yep. is, and they're all shocked by it. like, what are you talking about? Especially Eugene Levy now, who's you know huge. I'm like, no, oh, no, this is you know Doctor Tong. We're, this is he's way back then so oh, yeah yeah it's fun kind of uh you know introducing folks to the, the canadian canadian acts or humor or entertainment and think right. about how many monsters of comedy came out of just sctv yeah. you know what i mean right. like so many and the show itself i remember being a kid and watching the show like real young like you know and i was like you know nine or ten and thinking this isn't super funny, but this all the when they, all those people broke out and went and did their own things, everything they did was great. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. hilarious. So yeah. it, was, it was amazing that they got their start, you know, on a Canadian show and then and then ended up being just these giants of comedy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Hey, I'm glad, glad they're out there. While we're talking about uh, cars, before we stray too far away from, from vehicles, um, I, I noticed that you use a lot of these custom colors, and I... I Correct me if I'm wrong, but are a number of those co colors actually inspired by like automotive paints and automotive colors over the years? Uh, well, all of Fender, I'm sure you know this, all of Fender custom colors back in the day were automotive colors. I didn't from, know that. I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was really no 
guitar paint industry back then. So all the colors were car manufacturer colors from a couple years earlier. Every single one of them was, and, and there's charts out there that, you know, like Lake Placid Blue would have been called something else from Chevy or, and he and Fender used every brand. There's even mm. a DeSoto color in the mix, but a lot of Cadillac, a lot of, I'm, I'm convinced um, Ice Blue Metallic is um, uh, silver blue from the, from the Ford family. And okay. yeah, there's all the original car uh, guitar Fender guitar custom colors were automotive colors so i carried that on here and because there's so many colors that weren't used that are great especially from the 60s there's i i constantly use them in fact the 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 model i introduced here the california special that is also a 1968 ford mustang model only for 1968 and uh, so every one that i every on spec version of it that i painted I've painted in one of those 1968 colors, mm-hmm. lime gold, sunlit gold, et cetera, just to kind of follow that tradition. And they're great colors. Yeah. Obviously. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff you post is just absolutely incredible. And when I see like, <clears throat> for me, like I've had a lot of these guitars, like you can see behind me, I have a lot of bursts and things like that, but I've never really had like too many bright colored guitars. And it's something that I've really been wanting to add to my collection. Like you've got some stuff that's like, like really like bright lime greens and, um, what was the other one? Like the metallic blues and things like that that are really bright and sparkly. And I think Jay, is it Jay Nelson in the custom shop that paints everything? Yep. Yeah. He, he's the master builder painter. And then when he's got nothing to do, he'll paint the custom shop stuff too. The, the team built things. But do you ever paint any of your own stuff or is it all, does it all go through Jay? Uh, I've suited up a number of times. Okay. Uh, for bursts, you know, we all got our own little techniques and some of the bursts all, I want to do a little bit differently than let's say Jay does, or that's traditionally how it's traditionally done. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll suit up on occasion, but if it's, and that's a rare occasion because Jay is so good. It's, it's not worth it Yeah, on most cases. It, it's a bit of a hassle <laughs> suiting up and getting in there. <laughs> well, I mean, um, and when you're spraying later, guitars every day, I mean, like you're going to get good at it, right? Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, there's no, I'm not going to go in there and say, stand back, let me paint that candy apple red. There's no point in doing that. You, you, you've got this. But just on, on some really special occasions yeah. will I do it, uh, which is fine. I've painted plenty of them at Thorn Guitar, so I'm not missing that aspect of it yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> don't mind it at all, actually. So kind of stinky. And so back hot. in the day, you were you were painting all the bodies yourself then at, at Thorn Guitar? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a really nice spray booth set up and uh, was doing it all. And and there again, especially with bursts, you know, it's the technique and style and how you want things to look. I, I was pretty particular about that. So yeah, the only way of doing it was to do it myself. And going back to that inlay stuff, I, I, we got away from the inlays. Like, obviously, your inlay work is amazing. And, and the Mustang inlays that you did were really cool. Um, I thought they were really suiting. Uh, they really suited that guitar really, really well. And they And they were cut so, like... You cut that all by hand, I saw, right? With um, with the uh, plunge uh, router, correct? Uh, the route, yeah. The routing on the neck was by hand, yep. but the cutting out of the, those are out of sterling silver. I programmed that and I cut it on the CNC. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so the letters are cut out on the CNC, which is you could go either way. Yeah, but for something like that, that's very geometric and perfect. Yeah, uh, CNC would do an, a cleaner job to right. the eye. It would be a little bit of waving going on by hand yeah totally totally and what about back in the day did you utilize cnc machines machining at uh thorn guitars or was that something you didn't get into until you got to fender 
Oh, no, no, no. I go, no. So uh, <laughs> originally all by hand. Yeah. Like we cutting out the pieces by hand, routing everything out by hand. That dragon, like I mentioned, was all by hand. Yeah. And then as I started getting more and more work, I realized I had better uh, better step up my game here. And at the time, again, no internet, but yeah. I built a tabletop CNC machine in my kitchen. I, uh, I created all the drawings. I sent them to a machine shop. Again, where I worked, I made some of the parts there. We called them G-jobs. So I would issue the drawing for a component to our machine shop and they would make it and they wouldn't know what it would for. And then I would just bring it home. Like, right. right. Yeah. But uh, I, I made the CNC machine. And uh, the funny thing, so <laughs> I used it all throughout Thorn Guitars and Thorn Inlay. And then when I came here to Fender, they bought it off me. So that machine <laughs> I made in my kitchen is still cutting the inlays for Fender today, right now. It's running right now. That's incredible. And, uh, That's yeah, hilarious. Incredible. Um, <laughs> so I started I started with that, and it was big enough to do bodies and necks. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it's, it's a fair size. It's like two foot by four foot. Um, so I could do bodies and necks. It just wasn't very fast. And then once Thorn Guitars kind of took off, uh, I bought a Haas machine. It, I used a, a three-year-old Haas machine, Haas CNC, a large one. So I, that was from 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 the get-go with Thorn Guitars. And I had CNC in the mix, and I love it. I I don't think it's any less of a uh, a tool or anything else. It doesn't discredit a guitar at all. I I think of it as Allowing you to do things accurately, repeatable, which is big in production, mm-hmm. not necessary for, for boutique stuff. But I found I could do all sorts of details that I just could not build by hand. I, the side purfling on Thorn Guitars, I had purfling on the top and side. It was called double offset purfling. You could do that by hand, but it would be very difficult. And oh. chances are it would be pretty sloppy and kind of hacky. Right. regardless of how good you are but yeah. I, that was a thing i could do on the cmc and it came out great it was a little bit of a signature detail inlaid tops inlaid and when i say inlaid top i mean the entire quilt maple carp top was set into the body versus just being glued on top right all sorts of things like that you, i suppose you could try to pull it off by hand whatever that means either by a pin router template or what have you but yeah. um, no, i just i Took full advantage of CNC technology, compound radiusing fretboards and uh, cutting fret slots extremely accurately. I did really. I was one of the first, and I I, I hate to take credit for anything because somebody will pop up and go, you know, two years later I did tapping before eruption. But I contacted a, a bit manufacturer and said, hey, can you make these twenty two thousands? end mills you offer can you make them longer so that i could do what i called hidden fret ends ah. so i would slot a fretboard but not slot it all the way through right. and dip the frets and cut it down and that way you wouldn't see the tang of the frets on the right. side side of the fretboard and that was that was really really early on in 2002 or so i did that and it was funny the man the bit manufacturer made me purchase 50 of them oh, which wow. Yeah, it was a, a bit of an investment. I guess it would and be. Yeah. I, I understood it. Yeah, and I I bought all fifty, and then the next week they offered it on their website, like ah, fret slotting bits. And like, you, you buggers! So you funded it. You funded their their I funded venture. It. Yeah, yeah. 
when I see somebody using it these days, and they, they've got all sorts of nicknames for them now, blind Fred ends and stuff. I'm like, yeah, and I, and I know which pedal you're using for that too, buddy. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, it's such a good yeah. idea though, because like, does that essentially then eliminate fret sprout, I guess? It, yeah. Yeah. It eliminates fret sprout and it looks really cool, especially on a maple fretboard, yeah. but it requires almost like you're binding or you're fretting a bound neck that has binding. Right. So you have to cut back the tang. And then I developed a little grinding tool to grind the underside of the tang to, to rem- or underside of the bead to remove a little bit of tang residue. And we use that here also the same, same tool that I made. Um, so it's a, it's a way longer fretting process because every fret has to be cut to length right. taken care of initially, but uh, it sure looks cool. It's a nice detail. And for a boutique, instrument i think it's well worth that uh, oh yeah oh absolutely yeah. it would look amazing and it would feel amazing like to not feel yeah. any fret ends like that's got to be i've never played a guitar like that i can imagine it would just be beautiful you know it's cool very very cool yep um thank you so your engineering background must be like i mean not must be it is it, it's really contributed to how well your builds are because you're coming up with all this custom stuff that really you can't buy off the shelf. So you're, you're, you were inventing tools, essentially building custom tools to do this custom work, which is incredible. Not a lot of people can actually say that because they're not engineering. They don't have engineering backgrounds. Yeah. It, it, it all fell into place. I said that from the beginning. So being a little artsy fartsy mechanical engineering and into guitar, it just all worked out for what I chose as a, as a career. Yeah. It, um, yeah. It was good. Fortunate. And that, and, I, and that's all heredity. I, I don't, give myself credit for any of that. That's my folks. That's my folks <laughs> passing it down. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about your, your early like guitar playing days and how you kind of got into playing guitar. Um, what's your, what's your number one these days? Like I know you have a pretty extensive collection. I think I, I recently heard you had like 50 guitars approximately in your collection. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So are you still, the last time I heard, I think your number one was that Squire that you had. Is that still what you're playing? Yeah, yeah, uh, I kind of rotate things, whatever. I've got a little guitar stand by the couch, and I can't, I don't play a lot anymore, unfortunately. But um, yeah. yeah, that, that thing I think will always be my number one. And I've got other cool guitars that play great and sound great, et cetera. But that thing has just kind of been with me for a long time. And I've changed out the pick guard and, and the, the and it seems like no matter what I do, it always sounds great and plays great. So it's like, ah, oh, this thing, there's some magic behind this fairly inexpensive, might even be the cheapest guitar I own, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But there's something about it that's just, ah, it'll, it'll stay as, as really my number one, even if it doesn't see much action these days. It, it's still, a, it's a keeper for me forever. Mm-hmm. And it's an 81, that guitar? Uh, it's an 85, 85 Squire, 85 Squire. So it's a basswood body with an all maple neck. And um, yeah, I've, the, I've changed the tuners. I've refretted it and kind of swapped things around. But the, the core of it, the body and the neck has never, never changed. Would that have been a made in Japan guitar then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Made Just amazing Japan. quality coming out of that, out of those Japan factories, eh? Yep. Absolutely. I, I just spent a week in Ensenada, the Ensenada factory, the Fender factory, two, two or three weeks ago. And I was blown away there, too. It's uh, like, wow, this is the qu- amount of quality that comes from these import guitars. It's it, it would keep you going as a player oh, yeah. for easily for your whole career if, Absolutely. if you wanted it. Yep. Quality right out, right out of the gate. And um, there, there isn't 
there wouldn't be need to upgrade it or or do much to it nope. to make it a high performance guitar. But uh, it's yeah, I'll hand it to the entire industry. They've really made things and hundred percent, man. Fun for the beginner. Put you you oh, pick yeah. you buy three hundred dollar, four hundred dollar guitar, and it's good to go. Oh yeah, and that didn't really exist. Until about that time, until the 80s, because uh, 70s stuff and 70s stuff and earlier that was cheap and inexpensive. It was not very good quality yeah. and, and just you would struggle with it as a player and mm -hmm. then get not be inspired to play and you just get out of it. You fall out of it pretty quick. Yeah. You'd almost have to tough your way through it. But um, these days, yeah, it's um, the, the quality coming out of these factories is great. And, and, and Sonata had very much the same vibe as it did here, which even though there was a pretty severe language barrier for me, <laughs> I could still see how much everybody was in there. And not a single soul who knew who I was. So I didn't stroll in there like, stand back, I'll do it. No, I was just like checking guys out and uh, just digging on it. And they didn't care who I was. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these three behind me are, are all Mexican guitars, and they're all beautiful. So I had this one first. Uh, I, I, I think I paid 500 Canadian for it, which is dirt cheap. Uh, this one I, I got a few months back. This was a Guitar Center special run. I don't know how it ended up up here, um, uh -huh. but I ended up, and I, all I did to that one was change the bridge pickup to a Seymour Duncan and make it a, a two-knob system, which I got the idea from you for that two-knob system. Um, and then this, uh, Mexican, uh, P base here that I just, I ordered that one just off Amazon. Cause I knew, I knew it was going to be great. You know, I had two, two Mexi guitars that were amazing and I knew the bass would be great. So I ordered up there you no go. regrets with any of them. They're amazing. You cool. know? Uh, that's great to hear. I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. It's, that's excellent. And, and they uh, last, hey. they last forever. You know, there you go. <clears throat> nothing wrong with that. No, 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 not at all. Cool. Um, very good. And so speaking of your collection, I want to get into this story because I want to make sure we have time for it. I don't know how long it's going to take to tell, but I understand <laughs> you're a big guild collector, specifically the Brian May signature series. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a thing going back as a kid. The, yeah. uh, I had, I had three things pinned up in my locker in high school and, and talk about dating myself here. It was uh, a really cool picture of KK Downing, and Judas Priest <laughs> holding up a flying V. And then this is this will be the kicker here. And then it was like an eight by ten glossy of Elvira. And then it was the <laughs> and then it was uh out of Guitar Player magazine, they reviewed the Guild Brian May model. So it was it was like both pieces of the review I cut and I stuck them together. And it was, so it was like two inches wide by about 14 inches long. And I had that pinned up in my locker. So every time between class, you know, I just kind of look up at this thing and I would read it and I had the whole even to this day, I've got the whole uh, just the whole article um, memorized. Yeah. But the very bottom line was like a list price twelve hundred dollars. And and as a high school kid in the early eighties or mid eighties, that was that could have been twelve million dollars yeah. and would have been thing. So yeah. I had just kind of kept my eyes peeled for them. What I didn't know at the time was they only made two hundred and sixteen of them. Oh, some wow. some claimed three hundred and sixteen, but it was only two hundred and sixteen because they started serial numbering them at one hundred. I didn't realize that, but I would just keep my eyes open for them. And they, down here in, in uh, Southern California, there was a, a paper that would come out every Thursday called The Recycler. And it was you know, a half inch thick. Mm -hmm. It was just like Craigslist, essentially. It was mm -hmm. Craig, Craigslist in print form. Yeah, it's like the penny saver up here. Uh, totally, the penny saver, yeah. exactly. 
And uh, I could almost open up to the musical instrument section and I would just dance through it. And as would everybody. <laughs> and I would just buy a, buy a lot of stuff out of there or sell. I mean, you sell everything out of there. So I would buy and sell. I remember, a, <laughs> and, and this thing is so wrong now, but I remember a guy coming to my bedroom, you know, because I still live with my folks, <laughs> to buy a Seymour Duncan Invader pickup at midnight. <laughs> Like my dad lets in a stranger at midnight into my bedroom to give me 20 bucks and I hand over the invader pickup and he leaves. And that was, that was cool. It was nothing weird or like a threat at all. Different time. Yeah. Different time. Uh, so Thursday I would, I I had my nine to fiver and I would walk to the liquor store and I'd buy the recycler and I'd read it on lunch break. And there it is. Gil Brian May model. And I was like, Oh man, this is like the first time I've ever seen one. So I call the guy up and, hey, it's, can, I, can I cruise over tonight after work? Yeah. And I do. And it's a car stereo installation store, you know, like Blaupunk and Pioneer or whatever. And so I go in and it was, it was a, a younger guy and his dad were there. The dad owned the shop. And this younger guy was selling it for his brother who was in Desert Shield. It wasn't even Desert Storm yet. It was like the campaign before the wow. Desert Storm. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it was my brother's. He wants to sell it. So. You know, he pops open the case, and in that in that article, that review, it said when the power booster is engaged, it has a distinctive scream. And I, I was like, "What is that? Like a button on the guitar?" I didn't know what it was. So, pops open the case. There's this Brian May. Like, oh, this is gorgeous. And I open the case pocket, and there's a pedal that says power booster. And I was like, "Wow, oh, it's a pedal. Okay, it all comes together." So, of course, and I think it was eight hundred dollars he wanted. And, you know, it's a Thursday night. I don't even think ATM machines, they probably spat out like 200 or 300 max yeah. back then. And all right. And I get paid tomorrow. I'll cash my check. I'll be over. All right. Handshake deal. Boom. I go back the next day. And I swear I dreamt of the guitar that night. Just like, <laughs> like, a, like Christmas. It was like Christmas Eve, right? Like sugar plums dance through my head. And uh, so I go there afterwards with a buddy. I get to the car stereo door and the dad answers. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to pick up the guitar. He's like, ah, we, we sold it earlier. Oh. And that, that feeling was just like, oh, I was speechless. My buddy just starts mouthing off at the guy, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I just kind of like walk back to the car like, oh, that sucks. What happened? <laughs> All right. That was that. Serial, it was serial number 154. I remember looking at yeah. the back of that. Oh, that's a low serial number. Again, not knowing that was like right in the middle of the run. Right, right. Uh, anyways, so it took a couple of years actually until I found another one in the recycler and it was blue. And I remember calling the guy and he was fairly local, like 15 minutes away. And uh, hey, you got it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> like, what? No, I'll take it. Don't answer the phone. I'll be right over. <laughs> you. What a what a negotiator, right? <laughs> So that was cool. And I'd never seen a blue one and yeah. it was a flame top. And, and then they reissued them a, a couple of years later. And then I, I I was just obsessed with it. Like now I just got to own mm-hmm. every single one. And then I was making some half decent money and I just started buying them and collecting them. Right. Well, fast forward, I don't know, 20 years later, I'm on Craigslist and I see one. And again, they're still rare. The early yeah. 216 of them, they're rare. They're rare. Yeah. And I see Guild Brian May call pat and i call him up hey yeah still got it all right i'll be right over and i go over there and it's a fairly unassuming house i open the gate and i walk up to the door and i knock on the door and pat smear opens the door holy cow which yeah and i i just kind of uh 
what? This guy is like, hey, uh, hey. And he knew I knew who he was, and I kind of chuckled. So he sits me down on the couch, and he pulls that thing out, pulls the case out, opens it up. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. I pull it out, and it is Pat Smear. It is funky. It is <laughs> funky, grody, funky. <laughs> I'm like, wow. This, you can really did a number on this one. And I turned it around, and it was number 154. Holy and I just, no way. And I just, it like caught me in my tracks. I hadn't thought about it that much. I said, How long have you had this? He goes, Oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years, a long Holy time. Cow. Did you get did you get this from a car dealership? Because yeah, it was on Van Nuys Boulevard. No way. So I told him the story and he loved it. And you know, he felt like it was our guitar and we hugged. And oh yeah. I took it home and I took every single component apart and like soaked it in alcohol. But uh <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, gave me an album that he recorded, and I've done some research. I think he played it live on a, at a Nirvana show at uh, wow. in San Diego or something. Yeah, I had read about it. So yeah, very very cool. And that this is just a story of uh, white whale hunting. That's more than anything. It's an incredible story. Like everything about that story is incredible. The fact that like you found the same serial number. It was like twenty years later. It was Pat Smear that scooped it out from under you. You know, I, I was telling my friend that, because this isn't the first time I've heard this story. I've heard you tell it before, but I, I mean, I had to ask you. I had to hear it right from the horse's mouth. It's an amazing story. And my friend was saying, well, they must have realized that it was Pat Smear. And I said, dude, this is forever ago. This is like way before Pat was probably famous. I mean, he was in the Germs and bands like that, but there's no way the dad knew who he was. Oh, when he was no. The oh, I doubt yeah. it. I seriously doubt it. No, there's no way. It's just a matter of he was there with cash. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that, that was it. And that's how the recycler worked or, yeah. or how Craigslist worked, right? You got to, oh, you got to act, you got to strike fast and keep a wad of cash on you at all times. Tell me about it, man. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a collector. I like weird things, like not things that aren't too rare, but just kind of weird things. And when I saw this, this strat, you know, same kind of thing, like, when I found out that it was a, a Guitar Center special run and and it had made its way up to Canada and like it was an ash that's an ash body strat which I always wanted, and I just you know I had to have it and, and it's like one of those things where I'm just hounding the guy like hey when can I come get this when can I come get this and if they don't reply immediately your heart just sinks you're like did it sell God damn it I got to get it right so I know that feeling well that blue one though you said the you, that I didn't know they made blue ones like I always picture Brian yeah. May guitars being red or, or cherry color right yep. The majority of them were, and then uh, in a, a, a guild ad for it, it says available in aqua and black also. And I've seen oh, a wow. couple black ones um, from that era. I know serial number 200 is black. and Yeah, and that's, again, now there's like a whole database of them, and, and a lot of them are accounted for, and there's a few other yeah. a few other ones. This one is is really clean and nice. But, yeah, and um, uh, as far as the rest of the collection goes, obviously lots of fenders, and Really, what I've gotten into, and this is kind of, this is far more important than any other guitars, is guitars made by my friends, mm -hmm. be it coworkers or buddies. So, I've got a Red Dave Telly Jr. that wow. he made years ago, and I've got some Stephen Stern guitars and some Chris Fleming. Those, you know, that's those are special because now it's friends right. that have built these for you, and it's it's personal. That yeah, it's very personal, and it's. So even though I say my number one is that old Squire, um, these are equally sentimental to me. Yeah. 
but there's yeah. always something about like like you said like earlier about that squire like you know it's it you know it's a cheaper guitar but it plays well it's just so familiar you know what i mean like i've got you know i got fend like these fender mexican guitars i got a bunch of usa gibsons and not a bunch i got three usa gibsons and and you know still one of the ones i pick up most is my old epiphone you know what i mean like it's just comfortable it's the first real guitar i ever had i love it so i, I get that feeling for sure yeah and that's one of the that's one of the fun things about running the rack for yeah. guitars yeah. ordering yeah. online is is great and it's convenient but mm-hmm. in a guitar shop and just running the racks and sometimes you you gravitate and pick up something that you probably wouldn't have purchased online yeah it just speaks to you and yeah the only reason have- the only reason i got this this bass online was because I'm not a bass player. I'm primarily a guitar player, right? So, and I would never, I bought one guitar line. It was a Squire Jazz Master because I'd never seen a Jazz Master that didn't have the that sort of uh, trem system on it. I'm not a fan of that Jazz Master trem. This thing had a hardtail on it and it looked great. So I, so I bought it and, it and it's a great guitar. It's it's lower end, but it, it does the job and, it, and it's fun to play. Um, but I would never order like anything, you know, any kind of expensive guitar online without handling it first. You know what I mean? You got to feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But and that's you know, a large part of our business isn't that, especially yeah. when custom what I do, and I'm building yeah. guitars for individuals. And yeah. that you really try to get a feel. And uh, you know, I know the neck carve is yeah. critical. So when you order a custom guitar, having a good grasp of what you want the neck to feel like yeah. is pretty critical. Yeah, but that's, that's a crazy. different animal though, right? Like you're talking about custom made instruments, right? Like, you know, if you order something from the Fender custom shop, if you don't, obviously you're not going to get a chance to handle it before it's, it's finished being built, but you know, it's going to be good when you're ordering sort of stuff off the line. Like they're mostly going to be good, but they're not always going to have that feel that you're looking for, right? You have to try them. You got to play off the shelf guitars. You got to try, you know? Good point. Yeah. And really, you know, sometimes it depends on the player, too. We, mm-hmm. I come across guys that are very, very critical of the neck shape. You know, yep. It's down to the few thousandths of an inch. They know exactly what they want, exactly how it's got to feel, and they have difficulty playing anything else with a different radius or a different fret wire, yep. or especially a different carve. They know what they want. And there's nothing wrong with that. That mm-hmm. works for you. There you go. Mm-hmm. But, and then there's some guys who are like, oh, I've got thin necks. I've got hard Bs. I've got big Us. And they they can manage yeah. that way also. So it's, uh, you know, there's no right or wrong. And yeah. that is just playability for the individual. And that could be anything. Right. And that's me. Like I got, I have every neck shape. Not every neck shape. I don't have any heart, like any Vs. But I've got, you know, fat necks and thin necks and, you know, and I can play them all. I prefer the, the fatter ones, but I can play the thin ones too. And, I, and I'm not super critical of that. For me, it's more of just how the guitar resonates. You know what I mean? Like what it sounds like acoustically, like all that stuff, you know. Uh, but neck shape is not the end of the world for me. There you go. You're yeah. one of those guys. I'm one of those <laughs> guys. You know, I, I could never be that critical. I don't think of a neck cart. Um, while we're on the topic of, of the custom stuff though, obviously that's, that's what you do. That's, that's your every day. Um, you know, and most people listening to this will know your background. They're, they're not here to hear me on episode 20 of the I Got Ask podcast. They're here to listen to you talk because they know your background. So run me down what, you know, like what your day to day is like when you start a custom build, like from, you know, material selection and transforming that stuff, those raw materials into a finished product and, and like how you select wood and all that kind of stuff. If you wouldn't mind, just quickly run me through that. Well, not quickly. Take your time. I don't want to say quickly. Don't, not quickly. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, 
we, we each master builder has a, a list of orders, right? And then when we feel the time is right to start a, a new order or a batch of orders, and you know, when I say batch, I mean you know, four, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like we, we, none of us build one guitar from start to finish. Oh, okay. All by themselves. You know, oh. no, no, there's there's too many things going on. You there would be so much downtime while things glue up. In paint, you know, paint is like a one month long process. Oh, so wow. you got to be doing something during that time. So we we try to stagger out the build so that we always have something to do. Mm-hmm. So if, we, if we're going to start with wood selection, of course, well, with the, with most of the orders, you contact the customer beforehand, but and just to review the specs and make sure it's right. Because you're kind of doing like the telephone game. He conveys it to the to the dealer, then the dealer conveys it to the sales rep, and then he submits it to us. So I want to hear it straight from the customer that the specifications are correct. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it, we should make a change because I, you know, I'll, I'll ask them. So you've got seven and a quarter inch radius. This is for example. You have a seven and a quarter inch radius called out here. Um, how do you, how do you like your action? Oh, I you know I love my action low. Do you do big bends? Yep. Okay. Well, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work. Oh, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? Well, I'd recommend a compound radius or you know. So, oh, I didn't know. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Look, good, good thing we caught it. Otherwise, it physically wouldn't be able to get down to where you want it. So right. they, that's the the and that's a very common example. That's why I used it. But um, I'll just go through it and make sure it's right and. Very rarely do we not make a change of some sort. It's it's rare that it's like no, that's exactly how I want it. There's oftentimes something. It might just be the circuitry too. No, do you want you called out vintage on this strat? That means you're not going to have a tone control on the bridge pickup. Oh, yo, I want that. Okay, we'll do the vintage <laughs> modified one. So it, right. it could be something quick and easy like that, which yeah. isn't the end of the world. But uh, so that's the first step, making sure it's all cool, and then for wood selection. And this is one of the amazing things about being here is the um, the access to such massive amount of quality lumber. So picking a body spread, that's that's a joy. There's so much to choose from. So I've got weights. I, you know, it's all sorted by weight, by figure, by look. And I just start digging through the pile and finding something that is within the right weight spec. It looks cool, especially if it's going to be a burst and you're going to see the wood grain. I want something that's going to, I'll visualize where the pick guard is going to go. So I can really cherry pick the right piece of lumber. Mm-hmm. Same with the neck planks, so many good neck planks. And I've got, I, I've got my own rules that I try to follow and I have no issues with it because there's so much of it. I, if it's going to be quarter sawn, I'm looking for a very specific grain mm-hmm. width and weight, especially. And uh, so wood selection is fun. And, and when it's an exotic species, we have a fair amount of it. Although most of the Karina guitars that I've been building, I've been supplying the wood from my own stash just because I've got so much of it. And it's mm-hmm. really, really good seasoned Karina. So I'll bring that in. But um, that, that step one is, is uh, cherry picking the lumber. It's, it's a hoot. And, and where does, can I just there, interject for one second? Where yeah. does Fender actually get their wood? Like, does it come from various sources, or do they have their own kind of like, are they growing their own stuff to to harvest? Like, how do they do that? Oh, we have yeah, we have suppliers. Uh, I don't, I don't think we own any forestry, mm-hmm. although we've probably invested in some. But yeah, we've got various suppliers, and it, it depends on the species and what part of the planet the wood comes mm-hmm. from and stuff. 
So we've, we've got some pretty serious buying power. But on the same token, I go to a local lumber yard oh. and cherry pick some of the lumber myself. Oh, and, wow. And some in, yeah, something that we don't stock here often. I've got one yard around the corner that I'll go in and just dig through flip. I call it flipping boards. Right. I got, it's going to be two of us flipping the boards. And gotcha. I bring the pickup truck and haul it back here. So nice. Yeah. Um, My friend John Elder wanted me to. Ask. He's a huge Fender fan. He 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 wanted me to make sure I got that question in, <laughs> and it wasn't one that I pre-submitted. So I wanted to make sure that it was cool to ask. Yeah, and the the, the good thing with our vendors, and again, I was a Fender vendor for forever. Is they know what Fender wants. They they they've got the rules. The yeah, has to look like this has to be this amount of figure. You know, whatever. There's there's rules as a vendor that you have to follow. And right. so we, I like to think we get top pick because of who we are and probably the, our purchasing power but um there's so much quality lumber here it's, it's not even funny i don't have any difficulty yeah. finding it and then we each, each master builder we have our little locker where we keep uh some really special stuff that's where i keep that korean i've got some brazilian rosewood boards that i've selected mm-hmm. and i've got matched away and some koa pieces that were phenomenal that um koa is beautiful yeah, we we did runs of a Koa Acoustasonics. Yeah, and I would see some of these planks. It's like, oh man, I, I just I'm hoarding that. So I, I basically claim it. I fill out a little wreck and I move it into my stash, and I'll use it at some point in time. And mm-hmm. that's how I had the wood from the trees. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, Acoustasonic. You know what? I, I, I absolutely am. I was going to ask you about that because that do you have still have some of that the tree in your collection there? No, just no. the remnant from from that, uh, the, the cutoff, the perimeter. Yeah. from That's that's all I have left of that. And yeah. It's in my area right now. Um, I'd love to come across some more of it, but it, it's kind of neat that it was a, a one-off, a true one-off, mm-hmm. and it's such a rare wood. But Yeah. Yeah, so I had that stashed for a long time, not not knowing what to do with it. In fact, I didn't want to use it on a thin-line telly. <laughs> I just yeah. felt like it would be a bit of a squandrance. So... <laughs> When this came about, I'm like, all right, Acoustasonic, Jazzmaster, Master Built for the trade show. Perfect. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah, that's as good as it gets around here for totally. us to see that. So I was, can imagine. Yeah. So Thanks. then so then other than wood selection, what are other what other techniques go into sort of giving it giving a guitar, a custom thorn guitar, you know, that that thorn signature? Like what are are there certain little little things you nuances you put into each each guitar you build? Absolutely. And man, there's the list is almost endless. And even wood selection is, is one thing. You know, I've yeah. got my own criteria. And, that, and some of the times that it's not even something you can teach. I just, even though I may attempt to, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll explain here. Here's why I'm selecting this particular piece. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, on that same subject, I, I've been. I'm in the week 22 of the Fender guitar building school that I've been teaching. Yeah. And that was one of the very earliest classes. The first three or four classes was really, here's a tree. Here's the cell structure. Here's the grain. Here's, here's what to look for, what not to select, and et cetera. A large part of that was uh, teaching that for the students. So I, wow. I try to convey what I look for to them but um, yeah. everybody will develop their own thing but then when it comes to well setting up and fretwork fretwork for sure and it's funny it's, paul waller's a good example we we all have our own techniques there's no you know fender method of mm-hmm. 
of doing a, a lot of things. And uh, Brett, Paul Waller's fret work looks totally different than mine, and it's great. It feels great, but I can identify a Waller neck right out of the gate, and maybe he can mine. Yeah, yeah. it's just d- d- different ways to dress the fret ends and to roll the fretboard, and we've all got our own little style of doing that. Even yeah, the, the the list is huge. Nut slots, yeah. uh, the geometry of a nut slot that that can believe it or not, be somewhat personal. <laughs> uh, the shape of the nut on, on the outside of the ease. And um, God, there's countless things. I specifically dress a little bit of fall away at the end of, at the end of a fretboard. And that's not, that's not necessarily taught here mm. on the production side, but that, and that's, that's a little bit of a finesse maneuver when you're truing the board. And even when I top the top of the frets, I'll put a little bit more emphasis on the fall away zone. That's like where the right above the heel, uh, there's a, a, a guitar tech friend, Walter, he coined the term, put a little more English into it, which is perfect. Cause that's all it is. It's just a little bit of English yeah. on top in the frets or, or the fretboard before you fret it. And little things like that, that I just feel add up to being a very playable instrument. Um, oh yeah again there's so many oh, there's so many especially on a, on a strat i'm pretty liberal with my three and one oil on the pivot screws on the tops of the saddles that's that's mm-hmm. not something we normally do here but i'll just give each one a little bit of a drop i set the four middle screws a little bit higher and th- this isn't any sort of proprietary it's maybe a combination of everything mm-hmm. but they're very minute finesses that We'll all do a little differently to yeah. produce what we feel is the most playable or best setup guitar. Yeah. Wow. I hope to hope to feel one one day and see what uh, see what a thorn <laughs> guitar actually feels like in my hands. But <laughs> thank we'll, you. We'll see if that I ever get the chance to do that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that would is like, would you ever get requests from from customers on how to uh, or or like how they would want something to sound specifically, like where you'd you'd select a certain wood versus a different wood in that way or, or do they kind of leave it in your hands to decide? No, both, both ways. Yeah, for sure. We'll get something. And there again, when it comes to discussing it with the customer initially yeah. and you explain to them, Hey, you know, by, by selecting this combination, let's say an ash body with a maple neck and a maple board or mm-hmm. one piece maple. And he's used to playing less balls. You know, it's just like, you know, this isn't, this yeah. is going to be a snappy sounding instrument. And, uh, you know, you may have to change things up a little bit. Hey, let's yeah. go with old, if you don't, if you don't mind, or even let's really change it up and do a mahogany body or a, or a Karina body. Really yeah. kind of bend bend things a little bit, which I don't mind doing at all. In fact, you've got what do you got a strap there? You got a telly there, yep. and it looks like a few other things. Yep. Why not try something? Don't I would say don't recreate that guitar. No. Let's let's do something you can't get off the shelf. Yeah. Let's get a kick out of guys that give it a give it a little change up. Hey, let's put a gold foil in there. Yeah, cool. Let's let's do something else that you just can't get off the shelf. And that's where I really I get off on somebody. Let's try something new that mm-hmm. I just can't get anywhere. That's that's a great way of approaching a master built instrument. Yeah. Now you posted something a couple of days ago. Speaking of things that are not off the shelf, I saw you work on on your Instagram story. You posted you were carving a neck heel on something, but it was like a set neck or a neck mm-hmm. through. What was that guitar? Yeah, that's that's a model I introduced, uh, and I, I say that pretty almost tongue in cheek. So it's a carved top telly 
with a set neck, but with a neck angle also. Ah. Uh, and the bridge is using a, a bridge I, I developed with Scott Buell is a, we call it the J rack. So it's like the J bridge that would normally be found on a Jazzmaster or a Jaguar. But I created a wraparound version of it, which would require a neck angle. So the instrument, I call it the La Paloma, and it's all Carina, set neck, wraparound, two humbuckers, wow. uh, not very Telly-like. In, <laughs> so in I was tone. thinking that's why I chuckled. <laughs> yeah, in silhouette, perhaps, but um, <laughs> that's that's about it. Uh, and it's it's a cool guitar. And these are these are this is one of the things about being a master builder. You for trade shows, you get to kind of do what you want. So hey. yeah, they're like works of art, right? You're producing yeah. works of art. They're not guitars. They they are playable works of art <laughs> for certain. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the La Paloma carved top, set neck, neck angled telly with a wraparound bridge and two humbuckers. Telly by shape only. <laughs> by shape only, in design only, uh, body design. Um, speak, you, you mentioned the Guitar Building Academy earlier. Uh, so on top of your incredibly busy schedule building these fantastic instruments, you're also teaching others that have interest from within the company to do so, correct? That is a huge thing for me. Raising our bench skill, as it's called here, it is. And and this is one thing, unfortunately, and, and just in any manufacturing facility, you can kind of find yourself in a rut. You get really good at something, and 14 years later, you're still doing that same thing. And uh, you may or may not mind it, but for the guys that want to further themselves as guitar builders... Uh, this is now one avenue. Unfortunately, it's just me. So as of right now, so mm-hmm. it's it's somewhat limited number of uh, classes that I can do. It's mm-hmm. a, first class is four students, and I'm hoping to maybe bump that up to six. So it isn't a huge quantity because mm-hmm. it's a lot of time. It's a ton of time on the clock. So I can imagine. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to get what I can, but I am really putting a ton of effort. And I essentially just forced my way into doing this just just literally out of sheer you know what i'm doing this to shove it <laughs> yeah and, and how, how much interest is there from within the company for these people to? oh to... man i get accosted every way every oh. time walking in my car somebody will approach me in the parking lot hey man and so now as a result we're trying to like okay you got to be here two years you gotta be, have done this and that and yeah I hope it grows. And and there's mm-hmm. talk about, uh, I don't know, making it a little more formal, but uh, it's, I'm, I'm working it. I'm, I'm getting yeah. there. I'm just glad that, in fact, I'm preparing the finals right now for the first one because mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty much through it. And I, you know how, obviously, our time is almost up and I can't stop rambling. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> who could talk for two hours about fret or a nut slot geometry you wouldn't think there would be but i got the dry erase board going i've got the samples you know it's it's 400 times the size i've zoomed it up and like (laughs) but hey they they soak it all in and it's some things that they they never even think about Um, oh of course not yeah i'll gladly impart anything i can on anybody that'll listen yeah i mean they're getting top level experience and education from one of Fender's top master builder. I mean, like how much better of a class could you take? You know what I mean? Like, of course people are going to be beating down your door trying to get into that class. 
Thank you. And what about these um, other what about these other master builders? Are you any plans to get them involved in the future? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I got two of them involved in previous ones. And and the this is the first year, so I'm kind of feeling it out and creating the curriculum as I go, almost literally the week before, and I'm creating the, the paperwork and the handouts and stuff. But I got uh, Red Dave, you know, he's he's one of the Jackson Master Builders. I mentioned mm-hmm. him earlier. Mm-hmm. I got him to teach the glue-up methods, the way of gluing up body spreads. Like, hey, you know, just go through all the motions of, it wasn't even the jointer. The jointer class was previous, but show the various techniques of gluing up and clamping and vacuum bagging and doing some other things. Mm-hmm. We did that. Joe Williams, the other Master Builder in Jackson, he taught the pin rudder class. Nope. I considered using Todd Krauss, who I feel has probably spent more time in front of the pin router than anyone on this planet. Oh, the wow. guy is just a machine, <laughs> especially cutting a body bike. I mean, there, there's photos of him in his 20s at Jackson where it's just stacks of body blanks and you just route routes into them. Wow. Uh, so, but I, I got Joe to teach this one and um, that was a real eye opener for, for somebody who hasn't used a pin router that it looks dangerous and so safety first guys like don't going on so i kind of stood back on that one when the when the students went for it the first time it was like uh i'll be over here just kind of like peeking over the fence see how they're doing so, yeah so yeah i got those two in and then for next year once i kind of got the curriculum going and the handouts going i'm gonna incorporate some of the other guys especially dale to to show some relicking tricks and probably waller for his fret dressing just to kind of show it as an alternative technique or method of doing fret dressing. And I definitely want to get every, and they're all for it too. They, they are 100% on board. I just wanted to kind of do the first one and give them some guidelines from here on out. Right. Right. Plus I'm super controlling and self-controlling <laughs> and obsessive. Well, <laughs> it, must it's, be <laughs> it kind of sounds like the thing was your baby. Anyway, you kind of had to force, force your way into getting it in. So, I mean, I can imagine how protective you would be of, of making sure that it's something that's, a top tier class, right? Thank you. Thanks. Um, Thanks for validating that. <laughs> we, um, we're almost at time here and I don't want to keep you over cause I know you're a busy guy. You got a ton of stuff going on, but one of the things I, I speak to a lot of musicians on this podcast. And one of the things I always ask, I know you're a musician yourself, obviously is, uh, what kind of music that you were into growing up and what are you into now? What are you listening mm. to? Uh, well growing up. So, uh, my my first two albums that I was given was Van Halen, Women and Children First, and Devo, Freedom of Choice. Oh, and wow. I'd like to think that that kind of, that was the, the foundation for the rest of my life, really. That <laughs> kind of, it's not, nothing really branched too far from those two albums. It's a hell of a foundation, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it was good. And considering the time frame and that, and then I just became obsessed with, you know, Fair Warning came out shortly thereafter, and yeah. then it was all. I got, and that was really what started the, the whole guitar kick thing. Yeah. It was straight up Eddie Van Halen. Sure. So that as the foundation, and, and you can imagine anything from that era. My, I mentioned my brother who's 10 years older than me. So throughout the 70s, I'm seven. Mm-hmm. He's 17. So it's just constant subjection to Rush, Zeppelin, Queen, Max Webster, you know, oh. whomever. Yeah, just. Just, that was um, that's all I heard growing up, and until I got a record player and my first albums, that it was those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of kicked in, you know, late '80s, mid nice. to late '80s, yeah. and early ZZ Top, and then it was like, oh, this is 
this is still really rocking. This is some jamming guitar playing. Yeah. With more blues into it. So I, I got into that. I got into John Mayall, which, you know, although he's not really known as a guitar player, mm. he's, you know, the, the thing, you know, Clapton, Peter Green, Mick Taylor, mm-hmm. Harvey Mandel. It's just like he was, and even the recent guys, Coco Montoya. I just, once I got a Mayall album with Coco Montoya on it, and now Coco Montoya is just playing locally in his own blues band. Like, oh, this is great. So <laughs> that kind of blew things out for me was getting into the blues. And these days, honestly, I haven't really found anything new. I'm hmm. just kind of trenched in the old stuff. And I've got so much to do. It's not really, I'm not starving for any musical entertainment. And I'll hear some bands that are new and refreshing and cool, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, that's all right. But. I'll still go see Alice Cooper when he comes around. Oh, here. absolutely. Sure. Right? Yeah. I'll, I'll, so, yeah. My, there you go. My mother <laughs> once met Alice Cooper. She works at a golf. My uncle owns a golf course here. I'm a part owner of golf course. Awesome. So Alice Cooper comes by. He sits down for some food, right? And uh, my mom recognizes him because she grew up, you know, obviously around through that, that time when uh, Alice Cooper was huge. And she walks over and she says, and my mom's Portuguese, got a heavy Portuguese accent, you know, moved, you know, immigrated here when she was like, 10 or something, 9 or 10. She walks over to him and says, Alex Cooper, nice to meet you. And I just, when she told me that story, I just about died. I said, you realized instantly. She goes, no, somebody told me that I called him Alex. And I went, oh my God. I almost had a heart attack. So he signed her tip and he signed it, Alex Cooper, which is amazing. Oh, I love that's, it. That's my connection, Alex Cooper. Alex, oh, that Alex is great. Cooper. Yeah, I yeah. bet you Alice loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he seems like such an easygoing guy too. So I'm sure he was cool with it, but, um, great. yeah. Great. So listen, I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. We've been on almost an hour and a half here. Um, I want to do a quick wrap up. I promised to get you off in an hour and a half. We have five minutes remaining. So I want to do a quick wrap up here on the show. Don't go anywhere. I want to say a quick pop, proper goodbye to you after we're done. But it's funny that you mentioned that you, you haven't listened to anything new because most guests on the show say that. Most of them say, I've just listened to the old stuff that I've always liked, and I've found some new bands, but I'm really into my old stuff, and I'm the same way, too. So. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So thanks That's for being here, man. I, I really appreciate it. Amazing interview. I wish we had more time, but I mean, unfortunately, it's I know you're busy, and I don't want to keep you. So I promised Alex, the other Alex, not Alex Cooper, but Alex from Fender PR, <laughs> that I wouldn't keep you any longer than an hour and a half. So don't run away. I'm going to do a quick wrap-up here, and then we'll be, and then I'll be right back to you, okay? Um, all right, all right guys, so. that's it. Thank you for uh, tuning into episode 20 of the uh, I Gotta Ask podcast. Ron Thorne was an amazing guest. If you guys want to do me a solid, I would really appreciate if you would um, subscribe to my podcast, rate it wherever you listen. I'm not going to tell you where to find it. I say that every episode because you're listening to it. If you're listening to it now, you found it. But uh, do me a favor, subscribe, rate, like it, share it with your friends. Uh, help me get the word out because I really like doing this thing, talking to guys like Ron, and I want to continue to do it. All right, guys, thanks a lot. We'll uh, see you on the next one. Actually, one quick thing before we go, Ron. Uh, do you want to tell people where to find your stuff on Instagram or Facebook? Or how, how do people find you if they want to see your stuff? Uh, I've got an Instagram page. It's called Thorn Guitars, all one word. And that's pretty much it, other than you know, Fender Custom Shop. I'm sure they promote on uh, Instagram and Facebook, too. Yeah, they seem to do a great job on that. And Absolutely. YouTube, there's a, a Fender YouTube channel. And there's, there's probably more than enough stuff with my mug on it all right guys chance you know it's <laughs> like I, in fact that's that's the running joke around here is like oh ron's working there must be a camera on it so that's uh 
I, I think they do a pretty good job of promoting the other guys too, but you're right. You, they are heavy Ron Thorne and for a good reason. So. <laughs> too so, kind. Daryl, thank you, buddy. Had a, a great time. Anytime too. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll do part two. Absolutely. I would so. love to have you on for a part two. If you're ever into it, that is, that would be amazing. Um, uh, but that's it guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in to episode 20 and we will see you on the next one.